Hey everyone, I'm Melanie and you're listening to Finding Purpose, the podcast. If you're listening to this show, you are seeking shifts to become your truest self. Join me each week as we explore what it means to be human. We cover topics in the eight pillars of wellness through a trauma-informed approach, and I'll teach you how to navigate life's hurdles. This podcast is for people who love learning, questioning, healing, thriving, and helping others do the same. As always, although I am a licensed professional counselor, it is vital to seek the support that you need from professionals in your area. This podcast does not substitute for therapy. All right, so it turned out that the first segment I was recording... I wasn't using my snowball microphone, so that's okay. We're going to we're going to make it work. All right. Progress over perfection. Okay. So let's get into it. Attachment 101. First, I want you to know that traditionally there are four types of attachment styles. There is secure attachment, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and disorganized attachment. I first want to say that most often our attachment styles are developed by our caregivers or our earlyhood examples of relationship which traditionally is parents and caregivers okay so our attachment tends to actually begin before we even can form language, before we seek out friendships, our brain is already starting to develop that attachment based on our modeling by our caregivers and parents. So the first thing I like to start with is the secure attachment. Actually, research shows that over half of the population, at least in the Western population, that people actually have a secure attachment. So over half of the population with a secure attachment is actually a really good thing. I always lift my eyebrow at that because I'm like, really? But yes, so over half of the population, I was just reading yesterday, I think 54% of people have a secure attachment. So a secure attachment is individuals who are not afraid of love and relationships. They are open They are willing to trust others and they're trustworthy. So they really show up as being unguarded and not being suspicious, really just showing up as their full self, trusting people's intentions and being open. They're also not afraid of close intimacy and vulnerability. So they are welcoming of intimacy physically, emotionally, Um, spiritually, and they are also willing to be vulnerable with their emotions. They're not closed off to that. They're not afraid of it. So they're willing to to be able to show up as kind of this free flowing. They're not afraid of, of closeness. People with secure attachment also really recognize that for relationships to thrive and for relationships to be long-term impactful and healthy there's this need for balance between dependency and space and with individuals with secure attachment they understand that 
healthy relationships need space. They need that sense of individuality, but they're also not afraid to ask for what they need or be dependent on. It doesn't make them run away when their partner has needs or presents needs that um, they would like to be met. People with secure attachment are not afraid. So they're, they, they don't have that fear there. So they're very, very open at maintaining that personal independence while knowing that it's okay to depend on other people. You'll notice that people with secure attachments, they just communicate a lot more freely, a lot more openly, and honestly, a lot more honestly. They don't have that that lack of trust. They are just open. They're okay with sharing how they feel. I like to say that people with secure attachment really are grounded in who they are. And when you're grounded in who you are, you have the superpower of being able to be yourself in the world. It's really, really amazing. People with secure attachment, they generally view relationships as safe. They know that relationships are important. They have close friendships with people. They are not afraid of relationships. And they also know that relationships are a safe space to get their needs met and be able to be there for other people. They also are very responsive and attuned to the needs of their partner. They're not the people that go days without texting back. They will text back. They will... Be responsive if, let's say, hours go by and they got really busy at work and they acknowledge that with their partner. They, If their partner is feeling insecure, they give reassurance. They're not afraid to do that. They're very, very open and loving and trustworthy. Now, secure attachments, like I said, remember that over half of the population have secure attachments. They are formed early in earlyhood in early childhood with their primary caregivers. How secure attachment is is kind of developed is that caregivers are attuned. So attuned means that they take the time to observe their children, observe their behaviors, observe their emotions, observe their thoughts, and they're attuned. That means that they're tuned into the needs of their children. They provide both a balance of nurturing while also encouraging and fostering a sense of independence in their children. A perfect example of this is to think of a a young child, let's say two years old, you take them to the ocean and they go, they're a little bit afraid to go in the ocean and you say, you got this, you know, go ahead, like run in there and they run, 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 run in there and a little wave splashes them and they look behind them and you are making eye contact with them and you are smiling and you are encouraging them and great job. And then they're able to run, run, run back to you and feel that sense of safety. So at that time, you're encouraging nurturing, but you're also encouraging that sense of independence. It really creates a powerful sense of self-esteem when you have caregivers who are tuned to your needs. They're really present and reassuring. If a chi- Whatever a child's needs are, whether they're crying, whether they're laughing, parents are, are there and they offer comfort. They're very responsive to cues of distress and they actually help with self-soothing children, right? So if a baby is crying, they don't leave them to cry it out 
for hours. They pick the baby up and they give that eye contact and they smile and they reassure and they, they're, they're responsive. That can really create a secure attachment, which ultimately long-term can be really, really powerful. So if you're a caregiver, if you're a parent and you're listening to this, really understand that attunement and presence and fostering, nurturing, and also encouraging independence is just so powerful. And you're setting your child up for success if you can really think about that early childhood attachment with you. Now, I want to say that if you grew up with a secure attachment, that doesn't mean that you will have that your secure attachment is like cut in stone. If you link up with the wrong person or the wrong people, that secure attachment can start to kind of falter. So I want to let you know that it's really important that for people with secure attachment to be uh, careful and understanding of also who they choose to link up with. Secure people and secure people with secure attachments are also very healing for other attachment styles. And that gets me into the anxious attachment style. So anxious attachment, okay, that's the second type of attachment, is usually characterized by an an insecurity in the relationship because there's a deep fear of abandonment. I like to say that with anxious attachment, that's where you're going to see a lot of the codependency really playing out. And what I mean by that is that people with anxious attachments have an overactive nervous system that's generally soothed when they're by their partner or their friend or that close relationship, but it becomes dysregulated when that person leaves because internally there's that fear of abandonment. I'm never going to see them again. They're going to leave me. So what you'll see with people with anxious attachment is there's a lot of worry in the relationship. And with that comes a lot of reassurance seeking. Do you love me? You know, are you happy? Is this enough? Like, are you going to leave me? So I also like to think that you'll see a lot of jealousy in the anxious attachment. And this will show up, you know, not to genderize it actually, because I think both genders can really show a sense of jealousy. But this might be somebody looking through your phone, someone, you know, um, accusing you of cheating, whatever that might be. There's just that really anxious, deep fear of abandonment, insecurity. Um, a lot of times people with anxious attachments misinterpret that need for space. So remember when I was talking about secure attachments, in just relationships in general, there has to be this balance between space and independency and being able to depend on your partner. People with anxious attachment will misinterpret the need of for space as like, you don't like me, you're abandoning me. They feel, because they're very attuned to friction, except that they interpret and internalize it as negative. So um, there's a lot of misinterpretation of space. And a lot of times what we can see is that for people with anxious attachment, they have pretty clingy behavior. So I want you to think again about a child who is with their parent at the ocean, right? 
This child with anxious attachment is afraid to go out into the ocean and they are not letting go. They're not letting go of their parent. You'll see this in schools. So children will not want to go to school and they'll be clinging on to their parent, crying, crying, fighting, fighting, just not letting go. Anxious attachment is often developed when caregivers sometimes provide love and safety and sometimes don't. This confusion can cause children to become nervous at the unpredictable responses. So what winds up happening is that the child views parenting, caregiving as inconsistent And they become anxious because they don't know if their parent will or will not meet their needs. So a lot of times they cling on to that sense of safety because they can't trust that you're going to be there for them if something bad happens to them because they're confused at how you have been showing up because it's been inconsistent. So that's why it's like when the caregiver is actually there, then it's like, I have to cling on to this for dear life because I don't know how to survive without them here because they aren't consistent at meeting my needs. A lot of times with anxious attachment, there is just this really deep-seated need for reassurance. And if you don't have that secure attachment, you might actually wind up invalidating that need. Now, I think that there are a lot of self-healing that needs to happen with the anxious attachment, but I also think that it's extremely healing when a partner is able to attune with this attachment style, when they're able to recognize, like, I can see that you're nervous or that you're afraid or you need me to remind you and I'm going to do that for you. So what's really healing for the anxious attachment is for a partner to be very non-judgmental and to be present and to be consistent, right? Now, anxious attachments, however, tend to link up with our third attachment style, which is the avoidant attachment style. And I'll get into a little bit about that after I explain what the avoidant attachment is. Avoidant attachment people, people who are avoidant, have a very deep fear of close intimacy. They're very guarded and suspicious of people's intentions, so they always want to keep people at at arm's length. They generally view people as a default, as untrustworthy, and they believe that their own personal emotional needs cannot be met in a relationship. Generally, these are the people who are just emotionally unavailable, and they tend to be our runners. So people who run when someone is trying to get closer to them, someone who is showing or demonstrating emotional vulnerability. These are the runners. These are the people who are very invalidating. They tend to be, I like to call them my ghoster people, or they create distance. Um, There's this sense of very hyper-independence as a way to keep people at that arm's length. They do not like to feel smothered. They don't like to feel depended on at all. In fact, if they start to feel smothered or feeling that someone is depending on them too much, a lot of times they're going to be run- they're going to run. Avoidance are my runners, they're my ghosters. And actually it makes a lot of sense. 
So people with avoidant attachment, it really stems from having caregivers who just quite frankly were unable to meet their children's needs. So what children wind up kind of internalizing is that caregivers are unreliable and therefore cannot meet any of their needs and that they should not depend on their parents or caregivers to meet their needs. So what winds up happening is, is that there's this mistrust, there's this hyper-independence because children have to survive. And if their caregivers are not going to be there for them, and not only am I saying physically or meeting their basic needs, I'm talking about emotionally. These are the parents who don't stop to look at their children. If their children express uh, a challenge or an uh, emotional distress, they're dismissive. They're, they might laugh. They might mock in someone's face. It's really like caregivers are just emotionally unavailable and just very dismissive of children's responses. What do you think would happen, right? Your child, you learn that caregivers are not the people to be there for you. So you become overly reliant on yourself. And it makes so much sense then as adults that we would view relationships very similar to that, of course, right? So what winds up happening, and this is why I said that anxious and avoidant tend to link up, is that anxious attachment recreates their childhood narrative because they link up with an avoidant person who can never offer them reassurance, who is so fearful of that clingy behavior. And both of these two styles will continuously get abandoned and rejected by each other. But because someone with an avoidant attachment can be very ghosty and unresponsive. Someone with an anxious, they tend to be more attracted to someone with an anxious attachment because that's what actually keeps the relationship going. What you don't see a lot are two people with the avoidant attachment because two people with an avoidant attachment, frankly, there's just going to be so much space. It's never really going to grow. So a lot of times you're going to see these two relationships kind of link up and it's a little disastrous. Um, It's tough. It's a learning lesson. I've definitely been there quite frequently, Um, but I'm working on it in my healing journey. So number four, our last attachment that we're going to talk about is the disorganized attachment. This attachment in my perspective tends to show up a lot for people who've experienced trauma especially in terms of their trauma with their caregivers and parents. Disorganized attachment is really characterized by mixed feelings of relationships. So remember, like anxious attachment is like, I have to have you by me at all times. And if you're not by me at all times, you're going to leave me forever. And avoidant attachment is like, don't get too fucking close to me, you know, or else because if you get too close to me, you're going to leave me. Disorganized is kind of doing a dance of hopscotch, you know, when the or hopscotch or double dutch, like, you know, when you're waiting to get into the game, you kind of go in and out, in and out. I don't know. I don't know. People with a disorganized attachment, they do have a desire to have deep intimacy, but they also on the same kind of side have a deep fear. They have a very deep fear of intimacy. 
they're they're not trusting of people's intentions. So they do show up as guarded because they just can't be quite sure. Like, what are your intentions here? A lot of times disorganized attachment styles really can view themselves as unworthy of love. And they really suppress a lot of their emotions. They invalidate their own experiences and minimize their own needs in relationships. And they oftentimes ref- they oftentimes fear the response of their partners. Let's get into why disor- how disorganized attachment gets into fruition so that we can talk a little bit more about some of these um, characteristics. So disorganized attachment is developed when caregivers are inconsistent when meeting the needs of their children. So caregivers are often responding to pleas of the child's need for comfort with yelling, laughing, dismissing, or invalidating. And children learn that they don't actually know if relationships are safe or not, and so that they develop this mistrust. Disorganized is for parents who are sometimes there and sometimes not, sometimes show up and then leave. And disorganized can become very, very confusing because children really don't know how that caregiver is going to respond. So it's like sometimes they're really loving and present and sometimes they're not. Um, I don't know how a caregiver will respond to this. Like, will they be loving? Will they not? When people show up in relationships as being under distress yelling or laughing or minimizing or being defensive or invalidating is extremely hurtful, especially for people with disorganized attachment. So what happens is that when a parent dismisses or is inconsistent or yells when a child is seeking comfort, that creates a deep rupture in their sense of self. And that's why they feel that they're unworthy of love. So it's like, I asked for this emotional support. You you dismissed me. You invalidated me. The internalized belief is I'm not worthy of love. And because of that, I'm going to shut my emotions off because my emotions are incorrect. And if I show my emotions to other people, I'm not going to get those needs met. Because there's inconsistency in how partners and caregivers respond. And as you heard, if a caregiver or a partner responds with yelling and validation, uh, a hyper arousal kind of state, there's that fear of that response. Like I kind of that hopscotch, like I want to share with you, but I don't know if I can trust you. I want to share this with you, but I don't know what your response is. So there's this want, there's this need, but there's also this very, very fear. So I like to say that kind of chug-a-lug, pull, push, pull, push. So those are the four types of attachment styles. Now, what I want you to think about is, do you possibly have characteristics of a few of them? So as human beings and as life is, things are not cookie cutter clean. So what I want you to just consider is that do you have do you fall into a primary two with maybe a lean towards another one? Look, guys, I grew up in a very chaotic household. I absolutely struggle with a secure attachment because I didn't have that modeled or represented to me. And I want you to know that I have fallen 
into the avoidant and I have fallen into the anxious. And in fact, most likely I fall into the disorganized of wanting deep intimacy, but also a deep sense of fear of intimacy and really not trusting the intentions of others. So with that level of vulnerability, I want you to be honest and vulnerable with yourself because when we can understand our attachment styles, we can then understand our choices. If you fall into more of an avoidant attachment and you're trying to heal that and work on that, that means not running when there is a need from your partner for intimacy, when they're voicing their emotions, when they're asking for more, when they're saying, I want to be able to depend on you, not running from that, right? So it's really about like saying, oh, I'm starting to feel that sense of I want to run, I'm afraid, or, oh, this person is wanting to, you know, have a deeper relationship with me. I'm afraid. Where is this coming from? Oh, this is coming from my attachment style. How can I show up in mini steps to start to heal that? Attachment can be healed. Nothing in human life is permanent. We are learning so much about that, as well as with anxious attachment. Maybe it's choosing a partner that doesn't dysregulate your nervous system. Maybe it's understanding that oftentimes people with secure attachments are viewed as a little bit more boring. Why? Because they don't make your nervous system go up and down like a heart rate monitor. They are cool, calm, and collected, and they can actually soothe you. So maybe it's understanding why do I keep running towards an avoidant attachment when they could never have the ability to be able to provide me the emotional support that I need in the first place? Or why do I keep um, accepting somebody who isn't ready for commitment or ghosts you or doesn't respond to you for days or for weeks and then just shows up in your life? So I just think attachment styles are so powerful. They're powerful in relationships. They're powerful in friendships. And the first step to change always is bringing our stuff into our awareness. We can't move into action if we're not even aware that there's a problem. I love you guys. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week. I hope that you get something from this. Feel free to connect with me on Amini Wellness on Instagram. You can send me an, a personal message on Anchor. You can find me on my website at melanieaminihajibashi.com. I'll link all of these in the show notes. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.